You're listening to the Happy as Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Gertrude Lyons to the show. Dr. Gertrude is a senior life coach and director of family programs for the Wright Foundation. She is on a mission to help women reclaim their lives through mothering and creates a safe space where women can express their dreams, fears, and truths around motherhood. Today, Dr. Gertrude is here to help us unpack some of the myths and beliefs that we carry into motherhood, to help us understand where they come from, and to empower us with ways that we can do motherhood differently in our own unique way. Motherhood is a really transformative experience that can come with lots of highs and joys, but also can come with struggles and pains. We get into the real and vulnerable conversations about these moments in motherhood and how we can befriend these experiences, become curious about them and understand them in order to embrace a more empowered form of mothering. Let's dive in to my conversation with Dr. Gertrude. Before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from E.C. Wills, and it's called Right Place at the Right Time. I cannot recommend this podcast enough. The loneliness of motherhood is the most striking part of it for me. It's been crippling. As a postpartum depression survivor, I can say that this podcast has saved me time and time again when no one else around me seemed to get me. Thank you, Erica. Lots of love. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review. I love to hear how you feel seen and heard and understood by the topics that are covered on this show. And for anybody who's listening who feels like they are not seen or understood by those around them or family members or friends, I want you to know that you are not alone. You have a place here and you're not crazy, you're not different, you're not failing. Motherhood is difficult and the reality of it sometimes does not meet our expectations and that has nothing to do with you or you being flawed in any way. So thank you for being here with me. You are welcome here. You have a place here and you most definitely are not alone. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Gurdjieff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today. I was just joking around off air about how I keep bumping into people who are mentioning you, and I feel like it's just time. It's just time for us to sit and have a chat. So thank you for being here. Erica, I'm so honored, thrilled, excited, and of course, love hearing that you've been 
hearing my name places, that means a lot to me. So thank you so much. I'm excited for our conversation. I first want to understand your story. I'm so curious what took you down this coaching leadership route? How did you find yourself in the world you're in? Okay, well, how long do we have, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's ever evolving always, isn't it? I know. (laughs) Our journeys, our mothering journey, right? It's like, okay, but our stories tell a lot. So I really appreciate, you know, you asking that and women and us sharing our stories. So for me, everything started when I had just gotten engaged to be married. So I was working actually as an economic analyst and my boss, I came in, I'm so excited. I just got engaged over the weekend and I'm like, I got engaged. I'm so excited. And he has this kind of grim look on his face. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) It's like, well, the best advice I can give you is to do premarital counseling. So side note, he was in the midst of a divorce. I knew this, but I took his words to heart. And part of me was kind of like, what? Like I'm 23 years old. Like I just this guy is amazing. We have what seemed, you know, to me at the time, kind of this perfect picture of, you know, and all the myths, you know, were coming true. But something clicked in me, something, you know, I'm forever grateful for him, gruff as he was, but then grateful that I listened, you know, to a voice inside, kind of that internal voice that sometimes we listen to, sometimes we don't, right? And this one was like, you know, you're about to get married. And if we look for a second, gee, you're husband's parents, his mother is twice divorced, married to a second alcoholic. Your parents are on the brink of divorce and did divorce shortly and, and also alcoholism in that system. And I didn't even, you know, know better, but something, you know, is like, oh, learning about relationship. Maybe mm. we should learn some things about how to be in relationship. So we did. And it set us off on just such an amazing, beautiful path. And we really dug in deep personally. The coach that we saw and has been our mentor really all through our marriage. One of the best advice he gave was, all right, we'll do premarital, get you, you know, launched through your wedding, but then it's really up to you two to know yourselves, you know, find a Mm. sense of self to really have a marriage. So we did that. We did a lot of conscious work, a lot of growth work. And about six years later, we decided to extend our family and, you know, work on conceiving a child. Well, that brought up Mm -hmm. a whole host of new adventures. And we really took our work into that. And so that's all going pretty well, learning a lot. And then daughter number two comes. Well, about a year or two into daughter number two, I hit a wall. Mm. I didn't speak it out loud, but I, I got afraid. You know, fear kind of overtook this growth path I had been on. I didn't want to rock the boat anymore. I felt like, okay, I got to keep this together. We now have two kids. If we start digging any deeper, who knows what could happen. So I really halted my own growth, right? So fast forward 2017, about 15 years later, I now have two master's degrees and I'm nearing the end of my doctorate. All Mm -hmm. of it focused on the potential of mothering and having a transformational experience as a mother. The school I went to is the Wright Graduate University for the realization of human potential. And in order to get a doctorate, I got an EDD, Part of the process and part of the requirement for graduating is that you transform yourself. So through this, you know, I'm dealing with some of my own stuff, but it really wasn't until getting kind of close to the end that I was on a pilgrimage. We do these sacred travel trips every year. That's a whole nother uh, (laughs) avenue to go down. But we were in Laos and our guide, Dr. Judith Wright, said that where we're going is this, it's been a sacred place for centuries. Currently, it was being used 
as a resting place for what they call beautifully imperfect Buddha statues. Right? So that intrigued me. And so what I saw when I entered this place, it wasn't a junk heap of cast aside relics that were no longer good enough, you know, to be in the temple. The collection was beautiful. The space mm. was serene and sacred. And I started thinking about, oh, how do I think about my imperfections and the judgments I have of, you know, what they are and what they mean to me. And, and then we went to a second cave, similar setup, but at this cave, at the entrance of it was this giant Buddha statue and had this big belly that I thought looked like a pregnant belly, right? But I was really mm-hmm. struck by it. Spent some time in that cave. And as I walked out and stood kind of underneath this Buddha, tears just started like flowing. You know, I kind of at first didn't know like what is going on here, but so much came flooding up for me. I thought about all my past and current imperfections, but particularly as a mother, right? And I started mm-hmm. feeling the possibility this new possibility of appreciating them and having compassion for myself in a way that I hadn't had. And I think it was, you know, emerging out of this that I unburdened my heart. Mm -hmm. It just, I let it all out and I could feel both the pain of the lost opportunities and the compassion for myself as a woman caring for her children with all her heart, you know, amidst a lot of fear and insecurity. Mm -hmm. And it was then that I really let myself tell the truth about like, you know, go back to that point that I stopped my growth work, right? And I think one of the most painful things that came up for me was where I had lost myself, right? Where I had lost myself and my children, I lost my identity, and really became enmeshed in theirs, right? So, but then I was reminded, right, I'm in my doctorate, you know, it's important to face this pain, and and I could use this work to work with women. Mm -hmm. I want to raise women's awareness that mothering is a vehicle for transformation if we let it be. Right. So Mm. once I put that piece together, all the studying I was doing, all the like, you know, academics that I felt were needed and all of my experience, you know, really allowed this discovery that mothering is where our stuff comes up. Right. And it's supposed to, and it's the best fertile soil for our transformation. So Mm -hmm. I'll stop there because I know we're going to get kind of more into that. But yeah, it's fascinating because I feel like so many people can relate and hear their own story in your story. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember this pivotal moment in my own life when I came head to head with like this perfect mother myth that we always talk about, right? This intensive mothering ideal that I was going to be it all. I was going to do it all. I was going to handle it with ease. I was going to you know, be the one to meet all the needs and martyr myself and not ask for help and all of this. And I was third postpartum, like I was on my third maternity leave. Mm -hmm. I had three sons in like three, three and under. So it was like three years between three and four years. And I found myself on my third postpartum. And I tell the story often experiencing postpartum depression and anxiety. And I had this breaking point where, you know, I I finally called my husband. I was like, I like, I can't do it. I'm like, I'm done. I can't do it. And That was like an admission of, I don't know if it was an admission. It was an acceptance. It was a breaking point. It was like sort of this like glass shattering moment of like perfectionism is unattainable. I'm not going to strive for it anymore. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do all of these things. And that transformative piece that you're talking about, like everything Mm -hmm. changed from that point. And so I think about others' motherhood journeys. And I think when we're reconciling these ideals that we enter into motherhood with for ourselves, 
And the state of intensive mothering, like in, you know, Western type of societies that pressure and apply this pressure to be and do it this way. And then I think about how absolutely like freeing it was to have a moment to break out of that. And it kind of sounds like that's sort of what your moment was. No, absolutely. And we think they're the moments that we should avoid or I don't know, we have a, can sometimes have a negative connotation to them, but they're usually the ones that break us open. Mm-hmm. And I always like changing that wording, right? When almost, oh, I just broke down, you know, or I'm a mess. It's like, no, you broke open and isn't it beautiful? And let's see what's in there. You know, this is where the treasures lie. And it sounds like for you, and I, I love you sharing that, Erica, it's when everything changed mm-hmm. for you. It really did. And I got to mother and got to choose to mother. I got to define my own motherhood journey from that point on. And I know that that's sort of what we're here to, we're dancing a bit around it, but that's really like what we're here to talk about today. Cause you have this language that you use rewriting the mother code. Mm-hmm. And I'm so curious how you define the mother code and, and what that means to you. Yeah. So ultimately, and yes, you're right. We have been touching on it, even, you know, through our stories, but ultimately it's about raising our awareness and digging into our unconscious wiring, you know, personally, culturally, you know, so that we are empowered to rewrite them. Right. So there are codes, right? So one, it's being aware that I have codes that were wired in me, you know, from my family and my upbringing and Mm. from our culture. Right. So I can rewrite them and that's possible, but first I have to be aware of them. Mm -hmm. Right. So We can't really live by our own codes until we do that. But then when we do, we can honor and live and rewrite and go on the mothering journey that's our own and really make it ours and start making discerning decisions and the decisions that come from not just unconscious wiring, but really from, you know, way deeper down. And I always like to be a little bit clear from the front. One of the big things that emerged as I was studying this and when I did my doctoral study was I wanted to prepare women, mm. right? I always feel like, you know, mother's saying like, nobody prepared me for this, right? It's getting a little bit better, but we always go to thinking medically, you know, let's medically, let's get our bodies ready. But the whole process of getting ourselves emotionally ready and building muscles of self-awareness and how, you know, to do this, because once you're launched in it, as you know, it's Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be a little crazy to like go there and we get scared all that. So, but one of the things talking to women who didn't have children yet was bringing out this concept and this idea I, that I really believe in, but I think opened up a space, not just for the women who didn't have children yet, but beyond, which is expanding the definition of mothering and opening our minds to the concept that all women mother and that all women conceive, create, give birth, and yes, raise children, but also careers and relationships, ideas, dreams, and that the most important person we need to mother is ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's so struck home, you know, and it did for me when I heard it, but that gave the women permission, wherever you were on your mothering journey, that the most important person I need to work on mothering is myself. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned things like intensive mothering and myths, and we'll get into more of those all of those get in the way of us ultimately mothering ourselves, But it also puts us on one team, right? Now there aren't these categories. And if we look at it from the perspective of we all mother, then, you know, we have that many more people in the village, right? We're all mothering. We're all on this journey. We all can support each other. I'm going to say as women, you know, in a different way, but, you know, with this mothering 
paradigm and values that are inherent in it, that now we're on one team. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that get in our way is they do, you know, with women, sometimes our own insecurities and all of that gets in the way of us really fully supporting each other on the journey. So mm-hmm. that kind of gives you a broad overview and there's more layers and details, but I think I'll stop there and get yeah. your reaction response. Yeah. When I think about, you're talking about, we have these codes that are sort of instilled in us as we grow. And from like a psychological lens, I would call those like beliefs that we form throughout our life, mm-hmm. right? And these beliefs are impacted by a number of things. They're impacted by, as you had touched on, like our family of origin, our culture, our society, uh, like our race, many different things impact these beliefs. And I'm doing this whole project right now. So this is all very fresh in my mind, sure. how these codes and these beliefs are very interwoven into our identity. They're a piece of them. And so when you're talking transformation and you're talking about, you know, this journey of motherhood and how we kind of like break off into these little sort of like labels or pods of the types of parents we are and the different approaches we have Mm -hmm. and things like that, that we are integrating these things into our identity in some way. And it's really important for us to understand that these beliefs are impacting how we feel about ourselves. So I'll give an example. Sure. So we've got the intensive mothering myth, which is the perfect mother myth. It's sort of this approach to mothering that is like super pervasive and mainstream now in like North American culture. And it tells us a set of beliefs that come with it. Like I'm doing a good job if I'm centering everything around my child. I'm doing a good job if I'm taking care of others you know, even if it's at a cost to myself. And these are beliefs that we internalize from these places that we were talking about. And then they become adopted really into our identity. So I feel like a good mom. I feel like I'm doing a good job and that I have value if I'm living up to these myths and beliefs. Mm. And it really is tricky because when we're talking particularly the intensive mothering myth, these are like, not attainable myths, these codes or these beliefs that we're after and that we're trying to align ourselves with are out of reach. Mm -hmm. And so when I come back to that breaking point about what I was experiencing in that time of being a mom of three now and my capacity having to expand that much more to Mm -hmm. like, you know, meet the invisible and emotional and physical labor of another little human in the world, it was like, I just couldn't do it perfectly anymore. And that old belief system or those codes that I had adopted during that time, like I had to shatter them because otherwise I would perpetually feel inadequate and like I was failing. And so it was this pivotal moment that really caused me to have to reevaluate these beliefs. I I love what you're saying, Erica, because sometimes we get to that moment that you're talking about and it's a choice point, right? You had a choice. You could have like packaged it all back together and still tried to live. I know that's an be another breaking point. You know, right. we can ignore so many signals and cues along the way, but I just think it's so courageous when we hit that point. And what you're saying is, is turning ourselves toward those mistaken beliefs, that construct within us that, as you were saying, when we were children, we constructed it for a reason, right? We, we mm. have these beliefs, we have this way to approach the world 
it didn't happen in a vacuum. And we have to have a lot of compassion for those behaviors, those beliefs. It kept us alive, so to speak, right? Different mm-hmm. circumstances. Out of survival, but yeah. Yeah, everything from survival to affirmation. and But the courage, it is then to say like, but those aren't working. You know, look at where this has taken me. And I'm at a breaking point here. And I've been trying real hard to keep these up. Mm-hmm. What I know of you and what I've gotten to know, you know, you are successful, you strive, you, you know, you do things well. So when we are hit with something that things that we used to do aren't working, right? And right. Uh, But the courage to start looking in that direction. And, and then who will we be without those beliefs? And start entering that territory and asking ourselves these questions, you know, what are these mistaken beliefs? And what is it that triggered me, right? And what is it that brought this to the surface has very valid and beautiful reasons how I got to be who I am. Mm. We didn't have really many options as children, you know, how we form because we're in the family that we're in. And, Mm -hmm. but as adults, we do have the choice to transform and question and look and feel all the feelings that we didn't feel back then and validate ourselves and our experience. And that can be scary, you know, and that feels like it kind of rocks our world. But out of that, then we can start constructing this really genuine, authentic sense of self, right? And who are we? And in this mothering realm, then once I have that, I have more space to question, I'm not looking so much outside myself for validation, for affirmation. I'm, you know, more and more able to look inward for that. But it usually starts with us facing some of those darker, ugly parts of ourselves. And as I said from my story, I also hit my own wall of it and chose not to keep going with it for a period of time. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like raising this child of my dissertation and this work of the mother code in kind of the same way, right? I'm transforming as, as I'm raising this child. And it's, mm-hmm. there's, I think what I'm saying with that is the journey never ends, right? We're on our mothering journey. My kids are out of the house, grown, and I'm still on a mothering journey for sure with them, mm-hmm. but also in the other arenas in my life. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for like circling around that breaking moment, like you said, like it may have resurfaced a couple of times and it just didn't really hit like it did until you were further along. Mm. And I'd seen a quote and I'd recently done a post about how we shouldn't feel shame or guilt for coping in the way that we knew how or were taught, you know? And like this work takes intention and it is hard. And sometimes when we're in the throes of postpartum, we don't have the capacity to open up you know, family stuff. And so, you know, for those who are listening and wherever you're at in your journey, like there are like moments of this. I feel like we orbit around these moments, right? Mm -hmm. It's like sometimes we're closer and other times like we're further and it's just not the time. And I feel like I've gone through those moments in my own life as well. And so even if we miss a potential moment for this transformation, or even if we are just totally operating out of survival, I would say that they circle back around, right? And we can, when we have the capacity or maybe when we're a little bit more along in our healing journey, then we have Mm. the capacity to dive into this a little bit more. No, I I love that. Absolutely. I think, you know, they'll, they'll keep coming. We'll keep getting signs from the universe one way or another. And exactly what you said, we'll dive into it. We'll jump into it when we're ready, you know, and that's, yeah. 
beautiful and perfect. Yeah. As we shut off the brain of like, there's some right time, there's a right way, you know, there's any of those shoulds. When we can turn those off, that makes all the difference, right? I'm curious the narratives or the beliefs that you hear in terms of this code, because I'm assuming if we're like rewriting the quarter, we're doing motherhood differently. Mm-hmm. You know, there are these old narratives that we have to scrap, right? I'm curious what some of those are. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you brought up ones around intensive mothering, right? I'm mm-hmm. certainly aware of those. And, you know, I definitely have some strong opinions on what in our mothering culture needs to evolve. And when I was doing my research, I came up with 15, you know, myths, but they all kind of interweave and I'll share a couple of my favorites. Yes, please. They kind of relate, but just to say generally, you know, about these myths that the underlining theme in all of them is that anything that makes a woman feel inferior about her choices, you know, that she's made Mm. or dismiss her emotions. And, you know, those are the ones we want to really explode and rewrite for ourselves. And of course, no matter which ones I think are important, you know, these are going to be up to each individual to decide and which ones do they want to rewrite, right? To have ownership of their mothering journey. But I think one that always stands out for me is myths that we have around feeling our emotions in general, you know, but particularly pain. And I think there's this myth that pain's a four-letter word in our culture, in general, right? Not just around mothering, but, you know, pain is to be avoided. Mm. Pain is bad. And then in in the mothering realm, you know, what I identified as like a mother's hurt or pain expressed around her children may even harm their development, you know, or harm them. You know, we have these beliefs or myths of us and our feelings is somehow going to be damaging versus the possibility that, you know, when we learn to navigate and really get responsible with our feelings, we don't have choice around pain in our lives, right? It's going to happen. But we do have choice to suffer or not. We do have choice in how we are with that pain. And I'm continuously working on it, but some level of work to gain facility, you know, with big emotions and feeling not just our little pain with a small P, but pain in all caps I think it's a huge gift, you know, to learn to navigate those territories because I think pain is a particularly feminine, and I don't mean gender, man, woman, but a a feminine emotion or state of being because it's out of the pain of childbirth that creation takes place. And, Mm. you know, you hit a pain point. And I think whenever we ask people in our coaching or people that we work with for inflection pain points, either it was a point at which they chose to shut down or they stepped into it, you know, like you did and beautiful things happened. Right. And Mm -hmm. so fostering a positive relationship with our pain brings us closer to other people. It helps us show what we care about, what matters to us. So that's one that I Mm -hmm. always love to for sure underline. And you mentioned one but I'm going to go back to it because I think we need to hear it so much, right? And we need to work on it so much, which is that it's a woman's job or a mother's job to put the needs of her children and spouse or partner first. Mm. And if she's a working mom, you know, working outside the home, then, then that, and then maybe, you know, take care of her own. Most of us know there's not much left at that point or, you know, it just doesn't happen, right? And uh, so I really like to bust that myth. And I think it's one of the biggest challenges and we've been wired around this in so many different ways for 
I don't know, at least 6,000 years. You know, it's come to the point mm. where it's believed by many and put out there that your purpose here, you know, as a woman on the planet is to give birth and raise children. So, mm. you know, when we realize like how not just generational, but how long this has been wired in us, it's a big job to unwire that. So I, I never want to speak about it lightly. Like, yeah, mother yourself, you know, dive in, do this deep work. Any movement we make in that direction, I applaud because I think we're just starting to really bust this one open. And I think what you're doing, you know, and others that have been on your show and that you work with, you know, we're trailblazing, you know, this is trailblazing Mm. type work. And I, I think it's admirable and beautiful. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say and how I think that I have said it, our motherhood experience is sort of prescribed to us, right? Based Mm -hmm. on these beliefs that we've been exposed to, like how we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to think that, okay, we get married, we give birth, like this is what we do, this is what we're here for. And to stop and like just evaluate how the timeline and how things have been prescribed to us Mm -hmm. and to unlearn or challenge or maybe even dare to do it differently is slightly terrifying, takes a lot of intentional work, and there's a whole lot of unlearning there that has to happen, right? And I think that with that unlearning comes this pain that you're describing Mm -hmm. in various, like I feel like it's on a continuum, but I can imagine how it's uncomfortable maybe not painful for some, maybe more uncomfortable or tense or whatever. And what I think that I'm hearing a circle around here is that this pain and these experiences are necessary to our transformation, would you say? I would. Yeah. Yeah. And it it does such a disservice. And that's where it's so confusing because in our culture, it's like, we do so many things to numb our pain, you know, and and think Mm. that the key to life in general is circumventing it or, you know, having five easy steps to happiness, right? Well, you know, living a a fulfilled, meaningful life is going to have pain. Mm. If we care about anything, there's going to be pain. If we open our heart, you know, open ourselves fully to something we care about, it could be our children or a relationship, like I said, but the minute we let something matter, you know, anything threatens that or it doesn't work out how we want it, there's going to be pain because we let it matter. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing. So allowing, you know, opening the gap that we have or any kind of narrow definition or thinking we have around limiting or putting a cap on our pain really disempowers us and does a big disservice on our capacity to live our life fully and beautifully. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the work of Dr. Brene Brown, right? Where Mm -hmm. she talks about in her TED talk about how we can't selectively numb emotions. So we want to live in this world where we numb our pain, but have all of the joy and have all of the happiness, right? Yes. That's just not how our emotions work. And if if we're numbing and pushing away our pain and not using that as a like I'll often say like a check engine light or as a signal to us to unpack and explore, then we're numbing and pushing that pain away. We're also backing ourselves out of joyful moments and positive experience as well. No, I do think it's a continuum. I just want to underline that because I think how you're saying it's so beautiful. 
I really believe that we can't feel full pleasure, blissful moments or have joy if we don't fully feel our pain. Mm. Whether we want to call it the reward or see it all as beautiful, either way, you know, we're taught to believe that we're just supposed to be happy, not realizing that it, it's all a big package, right? Mm-hmm. Not just the joy and pleasure, but presence in all of it, right? I think us opening ourselves to our pain and our feelings of what we're talking about, this unearthing of ourselves, this discovery. And then when we're in a stressful moment that we can learn to be with ourselves in such a way that we can be present, right? And if we're present with ourselves, then we can be present with our children, you know, for mothering them, with our spouses or partners or, you know, anyone, which is ultimately what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about those listening and how this really can resonate because we enter into motherhood thinking it's going to be like a joyful, blissful experience, right? That's another one of my myths, right? That just, Is it? Yeah. Yes. Like we really have this romanticized idea of motherhood. So that means in this ideal, it's going to be all positive, all good, right? And then we get in it and there is suffering and there is pain. And how do we reconcile that? And I love what you're describing here is like building a bit of a tolerance for our pain, becoming curious and sitting with it, mm-hmm. using it as sort of like this vehicle to our transformation. Yeah. How else might we build some tolerance or lean into this pain? What, what may be some other ways that we, if we've never done this work before and our skin crawls at the idea, right? <laughs> how might we try to engage our pain a little bit? Yeah. I love that you said that because some people are like, what? You know, I, no, thank you. You know, let's, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to turn off or down the, the pain button. I think the first step is being curious. Mm-hmm. And when I work with my clients and women, particularly when we're looking at pain and, and this aspect is to start doing some initial, not super confrontive digging, like what beliefs do I have around pain? You know, just hmm. what, what do I hear in my in the culture? Even if I don't want to look yet personally, like what are the messages about pain? And we could say our emotions, all of our, you know, our primary main emotions are focusing on pain, but what are the beliefs around them in our families? What did I hear about it? Oh, you know, big girls don't cry or hmm. any of the like, we don't do that kind of thing or bad things happened when I felt my feelings or if I saw other people feel our feelings. So as a woman, you know, we are faced with a number of those. And I'm saying that because I'm thinking about, you know, oh, you're so sensitive. Oh, Mm. you know, like, oh, you're, you know, there you go again. You know, just, you're just hormonal hormonal, or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, are you PMSing? You know, like Mm. as if that's a bad Mm -hmm. thing, right. As if Mm. that's something I'm supposed to like turn off and, and shut down. Like, yeah, you know, we're not there yet, but mm-hmm. we're getting there, right? Where we can celebrate these things and say like, heck yeah. So looking even outside of ourselves and culturally, like identifying beliefs that we have about our emotions and why, you know, we may not be feeling them. And then, you know, if we do that and have a little distance from it, then we can maybe start looking at what happened in my history? What happened specifically in my family when I felt my pain? And what if I started, you know, noticing it more? I usually like, get people started just jotting it down several times a day. What Mm. feelings did I feel? Just naming them, Mm. right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, you've had guests on that talk about the neuroscience and the wiring and just how that can help us in those trigger moments, just identifying, oh, 
I, I'm feeling my pain right now, or I feel scared, you know, helps us collect ourselves and bring ourselves back into functioning. So I think that's mm-hmm. one way to start. It's really valid and brings up in my mind the sort of imagery where when we push our pain away, it actually sort of fans the flame on the distress we feel, Yeah. right? Like when we wrestle with our pain and when we try to, you know, bar it up and push it away, it creates more distress and it prolongs the experience of the distress that we're feeling. But when we become curious, as you said, and we sort of like befriend our pain Mm -hmm. and we're like, hey, pain, you know, how can I help you? How can I alleviate you right now? Or what do you need? And we like become curious and lean into it. It actually validates and is sort of like the equivalent of like a hug or a handhold or a nurturance. Like you talked about mothering yourself. Like I feel like that's a very nurturing and mothering thing we can do for ourselves to validate and acknowledge our own feelings. And the outcome of that is decreasing the amount of distress that we feel. It actually minimizes our pain when we do that. It does. And it's, and it empowers us. We realize, oh, I have capacity for this. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, sometimes I liken it to when like working out, you know, or physical fitness, it's, if I haven't lifted weights before and I'm going to go in the gym, I'm not going to lift that 250 pound dumbbell. Right. But right, right. I can lift a five pound one and it makes a difference. Hmm. Any way we engage and think about be with, and then more and more have a little less attachment to the beliefs, to our personal histories, to the myths, hmm. we really can have more compassion for ourselves. We can really be fully on our journey and that's so much about the courage that we talked about earlier to rewrite our mother codes. And I think sometimes we're very much in a fix it culture, right? Mm. How do I fix my child? How do I fix this problem? You know, and I I literally was talking about this with my mentor this morning, because we were talking about mothering and my work in mothering. And, and he said, Oh, did you know this technically kind of new thing with when you have a hard time, your child latching on in breastfeeding, mm-hmm. right? So I'm jumping mm-hmm. to, to breastfeeding and, you know, they're doing the, I, I don't have the words for it, but the palate, you know, or tongue tied, right? And, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. it's becoming more and more normal to check for that and look for that and how that just, it kind of fixes the problem. And I remember thinking, oh God, I wish I had known that because I did have a really challenging time, you know, in relationship with my first daughter and nursing and wow, that, that might've just solved it. And then I felt sad. And then I had this mm. interesting reaction. I was like, yeah, but I learned so much through the process of my own internal personal journey and all the feelings that were coming up around the pain of this relationship and that it wasn't, you know, I have feelings about it now that it wasn't working how I thought it was supposed to. And my whole picture and vision of this beautiful nursing relationship that was supposed to happen so naturally that that wasn't happening. But I got to go inside and look at what beliefs did I have about this? What was happening in our relationship? There was even things that came up around competition with my husband. I mean, there were Hmm. so many layers to this around, you know, my own nourishment. And did I feel like I was enough? And, you know, these really deep, beautiful things. So it was this mixed feeling about fixing something, right? Mm -hmm. I think having this awareness, of course, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that was a bad, but Mm -hmm. that both of these in conjunction are beautiful things. Yeah. 
like I take that and apply it to this situation where I had this breaking point. Like if I had known and prepared to not have postpartum depression or there was some sort of fix or it had happened differently, um, would I have wanted to have taken that route? I don't know. Maybe it would have, you know, sheltered some suffering, but did I find who I was through that suffering? I absolutely did. And so it's kind of like when we look back on these hardships in life and see how they can pivot us and put us on a different course. And and I will sort of asterisk that like trauma can do this. And I don't think that many people who maybe have survived a trauma would absolutely go back and want to undo it. Like, like, you know, there are certain things that do happen that are horrific that we wish that we could unlive every day and still we can reclaim our power as we heal through those. But you're you're describing, and as we're thinking about wrapping up, you're just you're describing this empowered form of mothering, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about empowered mothering as something that is different than what is prescribed to us. And I'd love to know like what you think about empowered mothering and how those who are listening, if this is really resonating with, with them, this conversation, how they can start to move in that direction. Yeah. Well, first, generally, you know, moving in that direction and empowered mothering as we've been talking about it today is really a lot about doing our personal work, right? I started that Mm. with my journey and that opening, you know, to myself. And what's nice, like in in this day and age is there's lots of ways you can do that, right? Lots of like ways to see reading a book, listening to your podcast, you know, any way that we can start opening space that allows us to start you know, looking more critically, right? Busting cultural beliefs and critically think mm. for ourselves about mm. each decision, you know, before us and in each uncomfortable moment, you know, and as we contemplate embarking on this as a transformational journey, we can at least start embodying it or thinking about it as something that uh, we don't just need to get through and figure out and fix. And uh, when we can start thinking about it as a way to have it be all about to learn to mother ourselves our way and in a way that's right for us and feel empowered in that way that there is no right way as you've talked about and you know break that one right off the bat and then you know start putting our toe in the water into the arenas of bringing our emotions back online you know having mm-hmm. this richer experience as we're doing it and a compassionate experience but to really go on this journey. And, you know, I'm going to throw this in there. It's because I I don't know, it helped me to sometimes think about getting out of my own world. And it's like, I do want, you know, more for myself. And I, I want the most for my children in relationship. And I think all of us who particularly mother children feel that way, right? And what's the best thing we can do for them. And I think the best thing we can do for them is be a model, you know, be a model that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be learning and growing along with them, that we don't have it all figured out. And then I think having a bigger perspective that we're healing ourselves, but we're healing generations. And ultimately, I believe we're healing the planet. Mm. You know, and I, I really believe our planet desperately needs more mothering, right? Going on this journey of transformation personally and collectively has the power to do that. And I think that's, you know, pretty beautiful. And it helps me think, you know, as I take courageous steps or I step into some of these places that we're talking about, it has ripple effects. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty beautiful. Yeah. One of the things that you had mentioned there that we didn't touch on in terms of beliefs is, and I see this woven into intensive mothering as well, is this belief that motherhood should be enough 
And, you know, it's interesting because we get these conflicting messages. So like in my strive to my career and my sort of early womanhood life, it was like all about breaking these glass ceilings and getting this career and getting your education. And then I entered motherhood and it's like, why aren't you dropping everything for your children? And why are you holding on to yourself and being selfish when you should be martyring yourself for them? And so like I work with clients who really wrestle with this belief that motherhood is and should be enough to fulfill Mm -hmm. you entirely and completely Mm -hmm. when that's actually such a deep rooted myth in our culture and that you had highlighted to want and desire something more for yourself outside of this role is healthy and is okay. And Mm -hmm. through this more empowered form of mothering that you've been talking about and in mothering ourselves, we can acknowledge that part of ourselves and start to create some space for it. Hey? Yeah, for sure. I love you underlining that. And you just contextualized it so beautifully, Erica. Thank you. Because I, I do believe that. And I get upset when I hear women having this beautiful experience in a career, you know, or things that they're doing in their lives. And then to say, yeah, but none of it really matters unless I get married and have a child. Like then I'll really Mm. have done something important, right? And it's not Mm -hmm. taken away from the importance and value and beautifulness of mothering, bringing a child into the world and, and, you know, and creating the next generation, of course, but there isn't a scale, right? There really isn't. And, mm-hmm. and and then, you know, when I hear, well, that's, you know, a woman's purpose. And I think I mentioned this earlier, it's a woman's purpose on this planet. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if it was our purpose on the planet, then when our fertile years stop, why don't we all just die? Right? <laughs> I know it's a little mm-hmm. extreme, but mm-hmm. really, right? Like, I firmly mm-hmm. believe and now I'm, you know, in that stage, it's like, wait, I just feel like, in some ways, my life's really beginning that all of that work, Mm-hmm. led me to where I am now, you know, where I was mothering kind of things very specifically and, you know, in these arenas where now I can mother expansively and, you know, mother in this whole different way and mother the world, you know, while I continue to mother myself, that never ends, you know, that never stops, mm-hmm. but that there's mm-hmm. value in all of these things that we do. And, and yes, I'm right with you. We need to continually hear that message and whether it's fake it till we make it, you know, uh, which can work, really start believing it and then internalizing it and then having it and then living that way. I think it's a beautiful journey. Yeah. Thank you for joining us here today. And I'm all for these conversations that Mm. challenge the status quo of motherhood. I think that we get put in this autopilot cue of this autopilot experience and we follow, you know, the flow of the stampede that's going past and we lose ourselves in the process. And Mm -hmm. so thank you for the work that you're doing in bringing Mm -hmm. awareness to this and having these conversations. And I really appreciate your time and being here with us today. Thank you, Erica. This has been just a pure delight as we've traversed this territory. So thank you so, so much. Wasn't that such a great conversation with Dr. Gertrude? I really love taking the time to step out of our mothering experience, step back, and look at the myths and beliefs and things that have shaped our approach to motherhood. There's something that we often stumble into unintentionally, 
and we don't take a bird's eye view on or step back to really explore them and evaluate and reflect on these beliefs and messages that we've been given about motherhood. I encourage you to take these things away, reflect on them, evaluate them. And if you're unsure how to do this or where to start, I do have a motherhood roadmap journal that takes you on this journey of discovering your values and getting clear on your beliefs. To learn more, head to happyasamother.co slash shop. That's happyasamother.co slash shop. Make sure you come on back next week where we are having Minna Dubin on the show. Minna is a writer and two of her articles have gone viral. She wrote a personal essay and a follow-up article on mom rage for the New York Times and her work has resonated with hundreds of thousands, if not more, moms around the world. I love the perspective and lens through which Minna writes about mom rage, placing mom as, you know, the individual in a broader context of motherhood. You do not want to miss this conversation. Make sure to come on back and join me here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.